It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? This month of May, I'm devoting time to groups that overlap or are interconnected with each other. I believe there is strength in numbers. And my next guest is a founding member of Hyrith Hope and Healing with her fellow cribmates. Believe that togetherness heals. Her name is Cindy McQuay. And as an adoptee, she starts off my season eight. I couldn't be more excited to share with you what I'm learning about other communities. As I come to understand the acronyms MPE, NPE, and DC, I want to bring you along with me if you're not yet on board. MPE, kind of the umbrella, means Misattributed Parentage Event. NPE stands for Non-Paternal Event, and DC means Donor Conceived. If you've been listening to my podcast, you already know that LDA means Late Discovery Adoptee. It is through Cindy I am becoming better aware of how we can all learn and grow together. In this episode, Cindy shares the work she, Aaron, and Annie are doing to be a valuable resource to our community. They provide online support, host in-person retreats to all the groups, and hope to inform the public about the issues adoptees, LDAs, NPEs, and DCs face when DNA tests reveal something other than what was told to them by the people they trusted to tell them the truth. Cindy has always known she was adopted. She came from a loving home that I wish for all adopted people, where she could freely talk about being an adoptee. Her adoptive mom embraced the fact that Cindy would be unique because she was biologically related to people unlike her adoptive family. Cindy will reveal a part of her relinquishment, adoption, and reunion journey with total transparency. She is of the belief that adoption, if it has to be done, can be done right. Allow me to introduce you to someone I'm looking forward to meeting in person this October. It will be the third of three retreats this year given by Hyrith Hope and Healing. It will be held in the great state of Tennessee. It is at that time I'll have the awesome opportunity to work side by side with individuals interested in healing together. Hyrith Hope and Healing has been bringing the trio of communities together since 2019. And congratulations to them for organizing a beneficial contribution to our community. Cindy, how are you doing today over in York, Pennsylvania? Good morning. I am doing fabulous over here in York, PA. (laughs) Glad to hear it. Well, I'm just 
glad that we're able to have this time together. And I know we recently met and I know a little bit about you, that you were born in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? That is correct. (laughs) And you had an older adopted brother. Yes, I do. He's two years older than I am. Yes. And one of the things that you shared with me was that you never really felt that you were in the fog, as is often talked about in the community. And the reason why is what I want my audience to hear, because I thought it was just powerful as to why you never felt that way. Let's start there. Okay, sure. As you just stated, I have an older adopted brother, and then my parents had two bio children after we were adopted. We're all very close in age. I have cousins that are adopted. I grew up with friends in the neighborhood were adopted. So adoption was very normalized within my family. It was discussed. It was used as a, I can't think of the correct word, a reason for some of the things that I may have been either feeling, struggling with in comparison to the two bios that may not suffer from things migraines, stomach issues, you know, my mother would would constantly say things like, you know, I wonder if that runs in your family. So it was very normalized. I was never suppressed or silenced if I asked things about my adoption, which I was always very inquisitive about, was always met with support. I just think that that was just you know, I just emerged that way, yeah. if that makes sense. It does. And I think it's it's really valuable for adoptive parents to know that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, my parents, for sure, if they felt threatened by my questions, never let me know it. Never, ever did I feel, you know, like they felt threatened. Yeah, I'm glad glad you had that. You had adoptive parents that allowed openness about adoption because yes. many of us didn't experience that. And you're proof that it does work. It does work. And especially <laughs> at the age, I'm 60 and my parents are in their 90s. So back then in the, six, you know, the 60s, for sure, parents were were being told, you know, you don't need to tell your kid that they were adopted. So it's just bizarre that, that my parents did that. Yeah. I wonder what gave them the foresight to do that. Just I really don't know. just smart parents, huh? <laughs> and and the interesting thing is one of my cousins, uh, actually one I should say, three of my cousins who were adopted all within the same family, their their mother clearly was threatened. She did not like to talk about things with them. She would sort of just give short answers. Again, that generation. So you're right. What what made my parents do it the way they did? Mm-hmm. And when you shared with me that you pretty much knew for a long time that you weren't chosen, you were next in line, and it would take many of us decades to realize, no, I wasn't chosen. Yep, I was never told that. I was never told, you know, to be grateful. I never heard any of those 
horrible things that I hear our fellow adoptees saying that was said to them. We had trouble conceiving. You know, they told me the, you know, the black and white, the, the exact thing that they should be telling me. Right. Shout yeah, out to them. Just a, yeah, they weren't sugarcoating it. A big shout out to your adoptive parents. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that makes me smile to know that. I feel like they did they did the right thing. They just dealt in the truth. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <laughs> for that I am uh, I'm blown away as I hear others stories at wow you know, my experience could have gone totally, you know, in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And especially given, like you say, the times, because, yeah, that's the 60s. Yeah. Yep. So where do you want to start and how much you want to share about your adoption journey? Oh, I'm an open book, so you can ask me anything you want. Were you ever in foster care? As far as I know, I was not. Okay. So they brought um, you home as a baby. I was three months, but that's been on my to-do list to call the uh, social worker back and find out exactly where I was. So I'm not sure if my birth mother cared for me or if I was, you know, with a foster parent. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was adopted through an agency, so I doubt that I went through the system. I'll have to do a follow-up with you and let you know. <laughs> I have heard adoptees say six weeks or, like in your case, three months before uh, being permanently placed, and they wonder, yeah, where was I? Yeah. I probably wasn't still at the hospital. Yeah, so um, it's, I know it's a pretty important question to a lot of adoptees once they sit with it. Yeah, like where was I? I know I was in foster care for two years at four days old. So I kind of know I went from the hospital to a home mm-hmm. with a family. So when you say that your parents were very open about adoption, would you say you don't recall when you first were told? You just always remember knowing? Yes, I, I have no, oh, I remember if I was in second grade and blah, blah. Nope, I've always known. One thing I do remember is that that god-awful book that adoptees my age grew up with, The Chosen Baby. I still have my original copy that I clearly colored in, was read to us, to all of us, even, you know, the bio kids. I look back at that book, and it's just hysterical now to, to read it. That was probably the only type of kid book that was available for adoptees back then. So that's the only thing I remember about, you know, involving adoption was having that book read to me. Mm. Were you the kind of adoptee, because this is kind of how it was, that you would tell other people that you were adopted? Oh, yeah. And, and that was done, I think, because I grew up around so many adoptees. It was sort of like, are you in the club? You know, like, so you'd, hi, I'm Cindy. I was adopted. Right. You know, I'm adopted. You know, <laughs> I would do that, and I don't even know why. Except, I guess some part of me felt that I was different, 
And I wanted people to know I didn't think this difference was bad. I don't, I don't know, but I did. I would let people know for the most part. Yeah, I had no problem and I in saying that and I guess it's because of you know the openness within within my family. I mean, I used it to my advantage all the time in school as did all the other adoptees, you know, any assignment that we could get out of. Up oh, can't do that one. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> now, how about like going to the doctor? And, you know, they want to know your history and you don't have a medical history. Right. How did that make you uh, feel? I don't think it phased me until I probably was a young adult, you know, where you start to to understand why medical history is important. I remember either my mother saying I was an adoptee or myself telling the doctor but I don't, I don't think it hit me, like I said, until my early, early 20s, going to the, to the gyno, like, by yourself for the, you know, without, without your, you know, your mom with you, or you're going on the pill, thinking, gosh, I don't know if certain things run in my family that going on birth control, you know, may not be good for me. Right. You know, when you start thinking about having children that age when you realize that it is important to have your medical history. It sounds like you had a healthy childhood. Does anything stand out to you that I guess is related to being an adopted person and what that means, particularly when I think about you have siblings that were biologically relate are biologically related to your parents. Is there anything that, that you can recall that had you maybe pause or or think about or sit with feeling a certain way? Oh, sure. A few things come to my head right away. One was, I don't know if if you've figured this out yet from the, the conversations that we've had prior to this, but I've always been a little sassy. Uh, rebellious is the wrong word. That's why I, I, I prefer sassy. Kid. And adults, I loved, loved being able to say to my parents when we would be having a spat, argument, whatever, as I would run up the, you know, the stairs, having to get the last word in. I I say I love, I can't believe I did this. This is just, and I've apologized to my mother for this. But I would run up the stairs saying, it's just ironic how you named me Cindy. Is that short for Cinderella? I used to do digs like that to them all the time. (laughs) Here again with these awesome parents, they never, ever, ever like scolded me for saying that. They allowed me to vent, Mm. you know, my my adoption uh, horrors. I can't even think of the word for what what I was venting. Maybe angst. Does does that does that word work? Angst. Yeah. Yeah. So they allowed me to do that. I, I never did get to see, you know, the looks on their faces when I would say that. Because I'm wondering if they laughed or if they were horrified that I would say that. I um, think your adoptive mom in particular, because you, you mentioned that she would say, I wonder is that related to you being an adoptee, right? Oh, yes. Like, like in her mind, when you would probably do that, she allowed space because... Yes. 
Yes, Cindy is an adopted person, and I'm going to give her space for that. Right. Yeah. Uh, And I'm glad she did that. Mm -hmm. So that I remember distinctly. There's six in my family. And out of the six of us, I'm the only one that eats corn on the cob around as opposed to the typewriter. So anytime we have corn, you know, I would be reminded that I am not a, a biological part of this family. And that clearly that is a nature nurture thing that was talked about. Oh, there goes Cindy eating the corn, you know, different from the rest of us. <laughs> um, almost 99.9% of the time are going to mimic, you know, what you see people, you know, how they're doing, peeling an orange or setting a table, you know, you're going to do what you're taught. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just eat the corn going around and I still have to remind some of my family members of this, even to this day, growing up, my cousins and I got together f- fairly often uh, for holidays. People would start, and the, these would be not the adopted cousins. People would start talking about how so-and-so looks like so-and-so. I would chime in saying, yo, hello, I'm over here not looking like anybody. I don't think... I want to listen to this conversation. <laughs> you were <And> sassy. <laughs> I was. Even though I said that as a kid, and I still do, I think that has hit me, you know, been another one of those aha moments that, you know, we will continue to have for the rest of our lives. As I look at my, the two bio siblings aging and how much they look like my parents. Here's me over here looking like nobody. That's something that I think will always be with us, especially those that are not in reunion, which I am not. You know, we'll never have that genetic mirroring Mm. other than our children, if we have children. Right. You know, and and even that, I I do have three children. I see my husband so much in my boys And I also can see his side of the family in all three of the kids. But yet I don't, you know, I can't look at my daughter and say, oh, my gosh, you know, she's got like, you know, my my great grandmother's face shape because I don't know. Mm -hmm. So you, at some point, I'm thinking, do want to know who you're biologically related to, right? Oh, absolutely. I've always wanted to know. To this day, that still blows my mind. Like, why, you know, what is this 18 magic number that they make us wait? You know, so as soon as I turned 18, I headed uh, right down to Philadelphia, had my my records open, and was given my non-identifying information, which satisfied my curiosity at that time. And then I noticed, you know, like every couple of years, I would get curious again. So I'd contact the, uh, the social worker or actually the agency, until they went out of business. And then I had to contact social worker at the state level. So the second time I reached out, they reached out to my birth grandmother, who my maternal grandmother, who was the gatekeeper and got the, you know, the obligatory. She thinks about you every year, but wants you to go on with your life as she's gone on with hers, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. You know, she wishes you well. And again, a couple years later, 
So when my uh, maternal grandmother passed away, my aunt, my, my birth mother's half-sister, was now the gatekeeper. And she gave me a plethora of information that I don't know why my maternal grandmother did not. Health issues, school, you know, just gave me a lot of information about my birth mother. You know, and then DNA came along, and of course, I tested in every pool, came up with lots of excellent hits, uh, you, you know, with first cousins and second cousins, and, you know, building the tree out, reaching out to people, and was able to connect with several aunts, uncles, and cousins. So that's been amazing. But again, I don't look like anybody. But mm. interesting enough, I say that, and yet, a few that I have met in person, one of the first things they've said to me is, oh, my gosh, she looks just like so-and-so. So they see a family resemblance, but I don't. Mm. So did you ever meet your birth mom? I did not. But you know you know her identity. I sure do. Yeah. I, I, yes. And so she and my birth father want no contact. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, you know, I'm okay with that, believe it or not, because they wanted no contact since I was 18. And that's a lot of years have gone by that I've had to deal with or I've dealt with the the rejection. Mm-hmm. Let's call it what it is. You know, as I've matured, I've realized, you know what, that's their loss. I think I'm a a kind of nice person, a kind of decent person, it's their loss. So I've come to accept it. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I think that's because I've had that rejection since I was 18. Mm-hmm. It's almost comical to me because uh, clearly I can say that my birth mother has not dealt with her own trauma. I understand that she is and was or was and is very much of a helicopter mother with my three half siblings. And that makes sense. You know, that she was terrified that they too would be taken away mm-hmm. from her. Do you know so, the story between your birth mom and birth father? I, I do. She was 14. He was 19. I mean, so that's a baby. Right. That's a baby having a baby. And especially back then, You know, she was definitely one of the ones that was sent away. I cannot imagine the trauma that she still has inside her, which reminds me, one of the very first adoptive books that I read was, you know, The Girls That Went Away, blew me away because I never thought of their perspective. Never. The the shame and stigma that they had to carry you know, go just go on with your life. Pretend this never happened. How could they do that? You can't. Yeah, that was one of the first books I read, too, back in 2010, 2011. And it was life-changing. Yeah, because my mother went to a maternity home as well. Have I got a book for you? You may already know about it by Laura Engel. And it's called... Yeah, I read that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, You'll forget excellent. this ever happened? Yep. 
In fact, a friend of mine sent me the book. She's friends with Laura's child. I loved that book. So I'm glad that some of these birth mothers are writing their story. Absolutely. I read that book in less than 48 hours. I just couldn't even put it down. I had never thought about my birth mother at 16 going to this place where she knew no one Mm -hmm. and having to be introduced to other young women who were in similar circumstances, but everybody's story was different. Like I hadn't even thought about that piece. Right. And And Laura, she named all that for me. (laughs) Right. But, and then how they were treated, you know, like, like less than, um, it was terrible. Yeah. It was really, really bad. And I told Laura, I am so glad you wrote this. And she's had so much heartbreak in her journey I guess that's what I'm looking at now. How how do people turn their pain into purpose? And I think it has a lot to do with sharing our story. Oh, I agree. Especially for those who didn't have the advantage, is probably the wrong word, that I did with growing up with other adoptees. Knowing that, you know, you're not alone. There are other people who felt the same feelings that you did as well. By your parents having the openness, that suggests to me that's where it starts. It starts in the home, making an adoptee feel comfortable talking about that status, that part of their identity, not carrying any shame, not feeling bad about being an adopted person, and it mm-hmm. builds on it builds from there. So I do think it starts at home and then we go out into the world. Society has their own views. However, if we've been getting it at home, then nine times out of ten, that's gonna trump everything out in the world that is sending oh. us a very different message. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought of another thing. My parents, again, there were four of us, they encouraged whatever extracurricular activities that we, all four of us, wanted to do. My parents were both avid sports fans, bridge players, you know, so it's not like they just sat at home. So they encouraged us to find our own little niches. I appreciate that as as a parent, as parents even of non-adopted kids, to let your, your children find their likes and don't push your likes, you know, upon that. Mm-hmm. I was very much into art. And my mother would, again, with the, yeah, that you clearly got that from your bio family because <laughs> I can only draw six figures. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Yeah. And sure enough, my, my maternal side has artists right. in the family. You know, so I ended up going to art school for college. I am thankful that they allowed me to pursue where my um, talents were. I'm so happy you had that, to know that you had that. You know, what it speaks to is they recognize, your parents recognize that you're not this clean slate. Correct. Yeah, and and I'll just restate it as you have this is the 1960s where 
most of adoptive parents were getting very different information. And yes. and they decided, they went with what they felt was the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I know we met because of a retreat that's coming up this year that I'm so happy to be a part of. I want to talk about that and how you got involved in that with Aaron. Aaron and Annie, yes. Yes, I want to talk about, sure. I want to talk about that because I've learned so much recently. Aaron and I were moderators in a large Facebook group for adoptees, donor-conceived folks, late-discovery adoptees, and NPEs, as in non-paternal events. So we knew each other via the internet. This group was having a meetup in Philly. Aaron and I said, hey, that's about halfway for us. Why don't we both go and meet each other in in real life, which we did. You know, a get-together, dinner, and overnight, you know, everybody went on their way. So that night after dinner, Aaron and I were talking. We were like, oh, my gosh, this was, like, amazing. A, meet these people that you've only known via the Internet, but also to be in, you know, the same room with like-minded people. We should plan our own retreat. So that was in March of 2019, and in October of 2019, we had our very first retreat. But the, the one thing that was very important to us, Aaron is an NPE. And when we were at this meet and greet, I told Aaron afterward, even though it was awesome, I said, I don't know if you noticed, but there were a couple of things that you guys were doing that I, as an adoptee, was left out of. So if we're going to do these retreats and make them all inclusive for the community, we need to make sure that each status feels important and welcomed. We met on a Friday and went home on a Sunday. You know, we've gotten greedy over the years. So now we meet on a Thursday for dinner and we go home Monday morning. And even then, nobody wants to go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. The name Hyrith Hope and Healing, I introduced Aaron to the word Hyrith because that's been a word within the adoption community for as long as I can remember. You know, it's a Welsh word, which I am not pronouncing correctly. I know that, but I can't twirl my R's. You know, it's the longing for home, for something, you know, that may never was or never will be. You know, so many of us adoptees have that that feeling. Like myself, I don't know where I was for three months. You know, we have no birth story. You know, I wanted that word in our name you know and we also like the idea of the joint the trio community because of the intersections that we all have even though you know we all have our own uniqueness there are things that we you know that we overlap in and i think the more allies that each of us have on our side the stronger we are you know the more we can learn from each other Yeah, I agree. You know, I recently went to the Untangling Our Roots Summit uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was hosted by the National Association of Adoptees and Parents, along with Right to Know. So there, there were the trio, as you put it, there at the conference, and I learned so much. So we did. We had Donor Conceived. There was 
NPEs, and of course, adoptees. Mm -hmm. And I know LDAs within our adoptee community, that group, I see really a strong connection between them and NPEs. I'm oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm still learning. thought it was really good to bring all of us together, like you say, because there's strength in numbers. And from what I can tell, NPEs is a really large group. With, with DNA testing? <laughs> yes. It is for sure yeah. opening up uh, Pandora's box. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we joke how these DNA kits should come with a warning label. Well, I do think you have to get some sort of guidance. I know um, Adoption Network Cleveland, I believe, has a meeting once a month about that. Like before you even spit into a cup, there are things you need to think about Mm -hmm. and consider because it could open up a world that you're not prepared for. Oh, absolutely. After I did my DNA, you know, and I was absolutely fascinated by the the mapping. That's what I call it. You know, connecting like the the matches into my tree based on just the amount of shared DNA, placing them because I didn't know where they should go. That got me into being a search angel. I can't tell you how many ones I've been doing, you know, where I've discovered a non-paternal event, you know, either in their immediate line or somewhere, you know, a little further down. So, yeah, definitely should think about it, the things you may uncover. So for my listening audience that may be unfamiliar with NPE, non-paternal event, did I say that right? Yes. Non-paternal yes, yep. event. Explain that. Oh, the, the very easiest way is you take a DNA test for fun and you find out via your matches that your birth certificate father is not your biological father. Mm-hmm. So your your mother most likely had an affair. Yeah. Granted, there are, there are other other ways that you could have come into this world, but and well, I'm, I'm most, looking. Mm-hmm. Just because most likely an affair. That's what I learned from Erin, who I hope will be a guest on my show, her and Annie, in the near future. Yes. And I really think I want to lead off with you and then have them, maybe for the whole month of May, just really take time out to talk about this because what I'm learning is. Yeah, it's very difficult with the secrecy and shame. A lot of times it is a lot of messiness involved or it's complicated, particularly adoptees born in a closed system like I was, uh, and you were in a closed system too. And and so there are a lot of things that we don't know and we later learn. And, and yeah, we just still got a lot of questions. So I do want to you know, allow space to talk about this right i mean there are a lot of the the people within the npe community who are still in the closet so to speak mm. because of the thing that'd be great to get them on to speak about their traumas their you know just what what they deal with mm-hmm. and how we can work together yes so what would you say has been the 
I guess the most rewarding thing about being connected or better connected to the adoption community? The most rewarding. I would say, for the most part, the camaraderie. I mean, granted, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of infighting, which is a shame. For the most part, the camaraderie as far as the validating each other's feelings. Hey, that second rejection you're feeling, it is valid. Being there for each other, having each other's backs, speaking for those that don't have a voice yet, at least for me, being able to advocate and say, hey, even though I had a good experience, doesn't mean I don't have baggage that comes along with it. You know, so that, I guess, is what I would say is the most rewarding, you know, to be able to advocate for the voiceless. Are there any challenges? Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, for sure. Yeah, you know, in the beginning of, of doing this podcast two years ago, I, ne- I never asked that question. And clearly I know there are challenges, right? Oh, and yeah. I never I asked mean- it and an adoptee suggested that I asked that. I said, you're right. Let's talk about what the challenges are. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge, again, here I'm talking about the infighting. Mm-hmm. is the actual adoptees that, you know, will turn around to me and say, oh, aren't you just special that you had a good adoption experience? Mm. You know, and I have to learn to turn the other way. They're venting. They did not. That's okay. So I, I've had to, you know, allow people to spit in my face for lack of, you know, better words. Yeah, you recognize the pain. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a kerfuffle with an adoptee yesterday. And I remember thinking, it's his pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it is. And and I just happened to catch it, catch the brunt of it. Yeah. Mm. I think that that's probably one of the biggest challenges I see. We We are a lot of people... Because we were relinquished, and I kind of think from my story that it's the relinquishment part that's the trauma more than the adoption part, because I had a healthy adoption experience. It's the relinquishment that has me wounded, I would say, and mm-hmm. and leaning into healing probably all my life, and that we as a group, this is this is a part of of what we're feeling and experiencing and dealing with. So, yeah, the pain, it may, it may surface in not such good ways with other adoptees. Exactly. Yeah. I want to know, is it too late for someone to sign up for the retreat if they're interested? Good question. We have our spring, actually, we have three retreats a year. So we do April, July, and October. And you can check us out, our website, Hyrith Hope and Healing. Don't forget, Jennifer, you got to plug your, you, you are facilitating for us at our Tennessee yeah, retreat, which I, is in October. I am so excited about that. I, I was like, oh, this will be great. And yes, mm-hmm. here in Tennessee, it's about maybe three hours from me, but that's fine. Kate Murphy was a part of your retreat last year and I, I wanted to come and I couldn't. So I said, I can't miss this year. I just really want 
to be a part of that. And I guess the question that I can ask you about the retreat, you say July and October Mm -hmm. um, are the last two for the year. Is there a cutoff? So like if this airs in May or, yeah, we'll say if this recording we're doing airs in May, will it still be time for July and October? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Actually, I, I, I shouldn't say absolutely. Because we like to keep our retreats intimate, we max at 30 attendees. Okay. If somebody were to want to, to sign up, you know, the day before, if we're not full, absolutely, we're going to take you. Okay. All right. Got it. So I'll be sure and include the website or the link for people to check and see if there's still space. That would yeah, be, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? I don't think so. I'm sure once we end this, I'll think of <laughs> eight million things. That uh, happens like to said, me too. Yeah, I'm I'm an open book. Uh, you know, I could sit and talk about adoption and my adoption all day long. What's coming up for me now? And I do that too. I get off the phone. I was like, why didn't I ask Cindy such and such? Uh, but what's coming up for me right now is, are there any recommended resources that have just been so helpful to you through the years? I know you mentioned Ann Fessler's book. Is there anything else you might want to leave the listener with that, that may, they may not know about? Hmm. I, I will tell you, when COVID hit, I became an avid reader. Avid reader. I have a huge library now of adoption related books from how the body keeps the score to memoirs. Those have been an excellent resource for me. Again, validating my own stuff, even though I've had it validated all along, it's nice to have it revalidated. Right. (laughs) So read, 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 read. Do you listen to podcasts? I do. Back to reading for a sec. A lot of those are available on audio. So that if people aren't into reading, you know, you can listen to a book. Right. Podcast. Get into an, an, a support group. I am in 8 million adoptee support groups. <laughs> and hey, Cindy, the, the normal adoptee, why do you need a support group? <laughs> because we all do. That's you know? funny. No, I mean, I should not laugh that someone would say that to you it seems so unkind and maybe I'm laughing to keep from crying but I I think for me I I'm always reminding myself of what I know like I it's not like you get it and then boom you don't need it anymore right you know all the groups I'm in serve a different purpose you know we can still do work out there in in Facebook land or Instagram land whatever platform you're on you know, helping a fellow crib mate, directing the non-adoptees. One of my favorite groups, I'm not going to, I'm not plugging anybody here. The Constellation, that's my, what I call my sassy group. When, when I, when I, when Sassy Cindy comes out, I like to go into that group. It, it has birth parents as well as adoptive parents and hopeful adoptive parents. So I, I'm able to educate them, you know, with, with the the either the HAPs or the APs who 
you know, who likes to spout out about how, you know, well, my adopted child is well adjusted. No, here, here comes Sassy Cindy. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. As much as you think your adopted child has no issues, trust me, they have issues. Mm-hmm. You, they A, don't feel comfortable enough to tell you, or B, you just have your head in the sand and don't want to realize that you got damaged good. Yeah. Thank you uh, for saying you. that. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That was so, good. You know, yeah. But, but there again, that's where I can, I can say without a doubt, even having a good experience, I still had, have, you know, issues. Mm-hmm. Mine were just acknowledged and validated, period. Right. Hmm. Thank you so much, Cindy, for having this conversation with me. I have just loved it. Oh, you're more than welcome. I've enjoyed it as well. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Like when I went to that summit in Louisville recently, that was the best feeling in the world to have been connected on the Internet for with some people for like two years and to find right. to be in person was so magical. So I look forward to oh, that is. with you and Aaron and Annie and all the others. There's nothing like the in-person connection. That's right. Get for, to a retreat. For all my listeners, if you haven't been, put that on your list. Not many adoptees born in the 1960s, had the loving support from adoptive parents throughout their childhood to fully know themselves. I can deeply appreciate that Cindy had that. It's further proved to me that there are adoptive parents in the world who know what's the best way to show up for their adopted child and give great parenting in the midst of advice to the contrary. It never makes me sad to think that another adoptee didn't have to endure some of the things I did in my journey. It restores my hope in humanity. I rejoice in any adoptee being able to have less of a load to carry in their life. I find it a beautiful thing that Cindy, as an adoptee, took the initiative to join with NPEs for the purpose of spreading the word to our community that we are all in this together. It's a synchronicity that during the time that I met Cindy, I was preparing for the Untangling Our Roots Summit in Louisville, Kentucky, hosted by Right to Know and National Association of Adoptees and Parents. My knowledge of the work by Hyreth Hope and Healing and Right to Know coincided at the same time. It wasn't happenstance this year that I would come to learn so much from both groups. Thank you, Cindy, for having this conversation with me. You and so many others are finding ways to bring us together. It is healing when we choose that path. The road to restoration is sometimes the one less traveled by those who desire it the most. I choose togetherness, hope, and the belief that different groups have more in common with each other than ever before. You inspire me to stay curious about other people. We just might have more in common than we know. 
If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.